All right, so, so I got a, I got a would, would you rather for you. <clears throat> would you rather play for the Astros and have hot muggy hunting or come up and play for the Pirates <laughs> and have a nice, nice, cool hunting season weather? Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50-pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack spray and that's since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back <laughs> on our podcast episode i don't know 79 69 79 79 Whoa, 79. There we go. We're, we're off pace. It's a Monday. Uh, we're recording a double this week. Double, double. Um, we got Sturgis Thursday. Yeah, that's the plan. I got one or two more for you maybe as well. Okay. Yep. So, um, yeah, I need to connect with Jeff. I haven't talked to him this weekend. Okay. Well, let's start with here because oh, I've been yeah. Yeah, yeah, said, dying to What in this. a million? So you're telling me there's a chance. You're not going to believe this. Okay. This is crazy. All right. <clears throat> so yesterday I was... Um, I was doing some work in the morning, and then I was just on the road there. Willie, yep. So, and just for listeners, uh, w- Willie is a good friend of my dad's. He's a family friend. Mm-hmm. We, we've known him forever. He's from New York. Yep. It's, Hunt- it's relevant because I'm trying to paint the picture. Hunts of with you in Ohio. Geography here. Yep. He's like in his sixties, I think. Mm-hmm. Text me and says, "It's text me a picture of a buck. I'll show it to you." Okay. And uh, it, it's like a European mount. Mm-hmm. That's what he texts me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does it look familiar? Yeah. Don't tell me what it is if, if you know it. It does look familiar. Okay. I thought so, too. Yeah. And so his text says, um, I'll pull it up here. He sends me that picture out of the blue. I assume just because he knows we hunt in Kansas. And, yeah. You know, we thought we would think it's in, and we hunt. We send each other pictures. And stuff. Yeah. He goes on a wall in Kansas, poached deer. What do you guess on score? And so first, I just guessed. I was like, hmm, probably like one ninety four. It's big buck. Yeah. Yeah. Well over one eighty five. Yep. And so I guessed one ninety four, and I'm looking. I'm like, that buck, man, that looks familiar. And then it clicked. I'm like, just oh, gotta be that buck. You remember that giant deadhead that Marcus found? Yeah. Two two years ago? Yeah. That's the trail camera picture from Marcus's and I his text text chain. Huh. And so I called Marcus. I mean these brow look at the brow tines. Yeah, I mean it's up here. Hundred percent. Hundred percent it's up here. So I called Marcus and I was like, Hey man, wh- uh what remember that deer you found? He's like, Yeah. He's like, oh, what is the score? He's like, 192. <laughs> I was like, Okay. Uh, I said, Where is it? And he's like, uh, It's on display uh, down at the lumber yard where the Indian works. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And then Willie called me as I was on the thing. And I said, Hey, I said, Did you just get that picture I just sent you? I sent him the trail camera picture. He's like, Yeah. Um, I was like, 
where where did the picture come from? Who how'd you get that picture? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I've got a friend. Like it's a long story, but I've got a friend from California that's like I don't know, either lost his job or they're looking for a new place to live. So he's like in a, in a fifth wheel or, or like a, a camper driving around the country with his wife looking for like a, just a new place to settle down. And they just happened to pass through like outside of, um, you know, where we hunt in Kansas mm-hmm. and not knowing, no idea that, that we hunt there or anything goes to stops in this like random lumber yard. I mean, dude, how many pictures, how many, uh, how, how many 180 oh plus God. inch deer? A ton. A lot of them. Ton. The chances of him taking a picture of that deer. Sending it to Willie. Sending it to Willie on just on a, on a whim. Cause they think he knew Willie had some friends that hunt in Kansas. Sending and Willie sending it to me just because he thought it was cool and wanted to know what I thought it scored. And for me to know the one guy in Eureka, Kansas that found that deer, (laughs) like, what are the chances? One in a million. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that's not. I couldn't believe it. And we're going back to Kansas. Like, what are the chances, dude? If somebody's sending me a random picture of a deer Mm -hmm. uh, at some deadhead at some place in Kansas and for me to know which deer it is and who found it. It's the circle of Kansas. Because basically, Destiny knew that we were getting drawn for Kansas to go back. <sighs> which we are, by the way. Hey, we yeah. are. Going. And, and crazy enough, we kind of lucked out because your dad <laughs> had zero points. And as a group... We're going to have to call him on that. It, it is, because that's, that's how Iowa does it. And they manage Iowa stuff, too. Mm. Is that new? Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what we're talking about is, is if you apply for a group, as a group draw, mm-hmm. they're not going off of the highest point, which either they did at one time or we thought that yeah. they did. They're not averaging them. They're, off they're the lowest. going off the least number of points. So if group. one person in the group has zero points, let's say there's four people like ours, instead of it, even if the other people have preference points, everybody only has well, one point. Here's what I don't understand is if Kansas is a true preference point state, then people with preference points have preference. They get to choose sure. first. So, dude, Kevin didn't draw. Granted, it's a different unit. Sure. Uh, with one with one point. So he's got one. He's wow. got two points now. That's crazy. I know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just like Iowa, preference state, except when you go into group applications, so you don't pull somebody along who hasn't earned the group side. Well, and I guess there's still a chance, right? Because it's not like... 100%. You, yeah. It's not it's like not, all the ones go first. Correct. It's, it's just, just more chances in yeah. the pot. Yep. So... Yeah, so we got lucky, I guess. We're going back. Which I'm stoked about. Yeah, it's... Bummed, you know, for Kevin. That's... Yeah. You know, Kevin helped set us up with uh, some new new ground down there, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And... uh we're not gonna get to see him there, unfortunately. Yeah, that's he crazy. might come out. I think his wife's got with an archery tag. Two points, tag, man. That's not, or with one point, that's crazy. I, w- I will have to look at the stats. I haven't looked at him yet. Draw stats. Well, uh, well, and do you know what? He might have actually put in with his father-in-law, who might have had zero points as a group. It's possible that they did that. If you got drawn for Kansas, let us know. If you didn't get drawn for Kansas, also let us know. Um, so cool. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so today, uh, I think this is kind of a cool, uh, we haven't really tapped into this too much, but we may have several here over the next, I don't know, few months is, um, we're kind of tying in the sports aspect into hunting, professional sports aspect into hunting. Uh, so today's guest is, are we, who's next or, uh, so Kevin Smith, who is, uh, works with Jeff Sturgis is a former major leaguer. And today's guest, JP France is part of the Houston Astros organization as a pitcher and former Mississippi State Bulldog, which is... Go dogs. Yeah. So, girl, more cowbell. <laughs> we just 
We just bang cowbells down there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, I think what's kind of cool about it is I, I won't say they're like, I don't know, closet hunters, but like I think a lot of your pro athletes aren't very vocal about their hunting background, probably because most of America is still sensitive to hunting, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Sure. You know, so, you know, they kind of keep it not necessarily under wraps, but they're, they're not out there bragging about it as much. But I think JP is one who is like, screw it, man. Like I'm a hunter at a core. Like that's what I do. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think it'll be a pretty cool podcast. Just talk about the pro sports aspect of it, his time investment into hunting. And well, dude, I think, I think it's a natural overlap. Like a lot, a lot of people who start off in sports or start off in, in hunting or vice versa. Um, there, there's an appreciation, I think, for like uh, the regimen and the discipline, yeah, competitiveness, and, and, too. The, and the gear management. You know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of similarities between, mm-hmm. especially bow hunting and and sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think you see a lot of people dipping their toe in, in a little bit of both, and uh, I think both can give a lot of, uh, you know. <laughs> structure good mm-hmm. structure you know to, to your life so yeah no i think it is i mean i think probably most people who are hunters probably played played sports at one time yeah. growing up whether that's, that's why we're gonna school. make nick play minor league here at some point yeah get in the game nick <laughs> cool let's uh bring in jp for today's podcast what's going on sorry jeremy always says two to three minutes or i said i said four like to five, five minutes or seven. Always 10 or 15 yeah so. <laughs> we, had a, we had a key story to discuss at the beginning there so yeah um just from kit so we so jp we we recently uh, what was it saturday that we got our notifications yeah something like that got drawn for kansas for bow hunting which uh, you did too right i think i saw you post on it yep sure did there you go Uh, i can't wait um that's kind of a big highlight of my year just because the hunting in mississippi it's it's fun it's just super hard because one the rut doesn't start till january and we really don't get our first frost until like late December. So up to Kansas in November and really get things rolling. Yeah. 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 I think, um, you know, when you, when you kind of look at that overall, you know, cause I, I remember when I was in Mississippi, it, first of all, it was like a huge shock to me. Cause like, I'm used to like, you know, October and like already starting to layer up and close and it was still like, 85 degrees like for the opener of both season mm-hmm. down there <laughs> yeah. you know for most of it and then i think that would be stressful like a, a january rut it's like because at that point it's like everything's winding down people sure. are like holidays it's like october november is the perfect time to like i don't say get it done and get it out of the way but it's like it fits perfectly like after a hard summer of yeah. work you know and right before yeah you know holiday season essentially well I, that's what i was gonna say i mean i think at least where I, well, I mean, JP, you were in Starkville. So when I, when I was in Starkville, you know, right around Christmas was some of the best hunting I've had, mm-hmm. you know, in that area. Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, the lease I'm on, it's more of South Mississippi, like an hour north of probably the Louisiana Mississippi border. Okay. And dude, it's, it's miserable, especially the lease that I'm on. I mean, I know it's not super far, but the farthest walk I had from the camp was from the camp to the stand I was at. It was probably a mile, but one, I'm already a sweater. It doesn't matter. I could walk outside half a mile and I'm drenched in sweat. So put another layer of long sleeves on me with boots and a backpack and a bow. And yeah, um, 
So by the time I get this mild hike down, I'm freaking climbing a tree and I'm just drenched in freaking sweat. So it starts off the hunt really in a good way. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's miserable. What the, the one thing last year that I kind of put my foot down that I wasn't hunting in any more hot weather was <laughs> God, dude, it might've been early December. Um, it wasn't that far of a walk, but I just started. That was the first year I was using a, a saddle and I got up in one tree. I didn't, um, realize I really didn't have any, many lanes. So got down, went to a different tree, the tree I wanted to get in had about five, six, seven feet of just thick brush. So I think I broke every freaking branch in the woods walking <laughs> to this tree. So by the time I get up to that tree, I'm drenched in sweat. And I told my buddies, I said, dude, if it's over 50 degrees, I'm more. I said, that was just freaking miserable. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's, tough, it's man. just, but when we get that bad. in Kansas it's so too, hot. you know, in, in like November, I mean, it could be, I, I guess it was like 2018 or something. You didn't draw. And I was hunting in like single digits the whole week. I mean, I was frozen. And then the next year it was like, 70, mid seventies every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I don't, I, especially that real muggy stuff. Like <clears throat> if it's, if it's real humid and, um, I mean, especially if you don't have good early season gear, I think it was our mule deer hunt that got me kind of like focused on like getting some nice, really breathable stuff. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a sweater necessarily, necessarily but like yeah. I, I just I do everything possible to like uh, st stay dry, l limit my exertion, get into the stand early. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. In some I've, ways, I've it's inevitable. Kind of enjoyed. I mean, more than often, more often than not, in the early season, I'm wearing a t-shirt and uh, like like a very light pair of like cool pants. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. Yeah, I think the. Oh, no, go, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Very good. Uh, I was going to say, I think the biggest thing just down here is the humidity is that uh, yeah. the, the morning could start off at 35, 37 degrees and I'm sweating and I'm just like, what's going on? And then put on top of that, you start walking out of the stand at like 11 o'clock, which the morning started at 37 and now it's 85. So <laughs> okay. you're like, how, how do I dress? All right. So, so I got a, I got a, would, a, would you rather for you? Would you rather play for the Astros and have hot muggy hunting or come up and play for the Pirates <laughs> and have a nice, nice, cool hunting season weather? Oh, man. I hope they don't listen to this. I won't make you answer that question. <laughs> well, listen, at the end All right, of the day, here's the thing is, uh, per what we were kind of talking pre-podcast, JP, is like, first of all, the Astros organization, especially in the big show at, at the pitching level, is is loaded. Uh, we are not at the Pirates organization, so you probably would be in the big show. <laughs> we need some, we need some talent. And if all we can offer you is good hunting season weather, you're, you're set, you tell us there's a chance. Yeah. No doubt. That's that's what I tell everybody. Hey, it doesn't matter if you play for the Pirates or the Astros. They still pay the same. There you go. That's mm. crazy, man. They still pay the same. <laughs> well, uh, dude, I'm, I'm interested to, JP, if you can kind of tell us about, like, your, your situation yeah. or how you came up in, in baseball and how that overlaps with bow hunting. Like, we're just interested to, you know, kind of get to know you. And so feel free to, to just share your journey with us and where you're at now with that. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing baseball since I can 
remember five, six years old, seven years old. Um, and you're how old now? And that was 27. 27, cool. Yep. So, and that's kind of the only thing that's like revolved around my life has been baseball, 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 baseball. That's it. Um, even in uh, probably up until high school, it was just, it was just all that. It was that little white ball. That's what the focus was on. Um, but when I was younger, we did a bunch of duck hunting down in Louisiana. Um, obviously, cause it's just a bunch of marsh. They, they used to be really good duck hunting. Um, but after, after high school, went to play at Tulane for the first four years. Um, if anybody who has played like a sport at a high, a higher level, whether it be college, professional, independently, whatever it is, knows you gotta, you gotta do something to take your mind off of why you're, why, while you're in college playing ball or while you're a professional because it's just that grind just it almost gets overwhelming so mm -hmm. that's kind of when I first started picking up a bow I think I want to say it was in 20 like 15 um just to kind of do something off to the side get my mind off of baseball because especially I mean I want to say it's even more of a grind in college than it is in pro ball because I mean you're up at 6 a.m. every day doing your workouts and you got class from about 8 to 12 and then you got your lunch for about a half hour and you got a little bit of time to hang out then you got practice from 2 to like 6 and then you got your studying after that from about 6 to like 8 and then you go to sleep wake up do it again but in college how many people honestly go to sleep at nine ten o'clock right yeah so that that puts that grind on there a little more but but by putting by by me getting that bow it just it was just something for me to, like i say get my mind off of it and then i wasn't super serious in it it was just something to do and then started really really liking the whole process like i was I was telling somebody the first bow I had was super, super cheap. I don't even know if it was freaking set up, tuned right. I watched, I shot the bow. I saw a freaking thing, the tail spinning in circles. <laughs> uh, just, just trying to figure something out. But what ended up happening is the arrow ended up hitting the bottom of the rest. And it was just the whole setup together was probably $400. So, yeah. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. <laughs> or, or a Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> One in the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th th especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for, for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea fork of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. Um, so do, I mean, did what, uh, what prompted you said you did, you were duck hunting, like younger, like as a kid and stuff is what, what kind of prompted you to pick up a bow? Like what was, 
How'd you go about it? It was just the the duck hunting here is getting getting so bad. Um, one just because the birds aren't flying anymore. They just one it's getting too hot, and then for some reason I don't know what it was. Probably about ten years ago, everybody started wanting a duck hunt. I don't mm. know if it was I don't know if it was Duck Commander that came out the show or if mm. it was the the mud boats that every company started making. Um, I don't know what it was, but everybody just wanted to start duck hunting. And I mean, I remember a time when we went, we went on public land, me and my dad, and we were probably on a pond and it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been 60 yards across. And we were hunting public land. We got out there super early. We were set up decoys out, everything. And then the sun's just starting to crack where it's just starting to get good. Um, then a freaking dude with a mud boat just comes running right through our pond and he sets up right across from us. Jeez. Classic. So we, yeah, we're, we're yelling, screaming. We don't, yeah. This, so after that, we kind of just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, after that, we kind of just, we, I'll go if a, if a buddy invites me down in Venice, but I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to still hunt. So I'm like, Shooting a shooting a deer with a rifle for me is just I've done love done it. I'm good. The deer's got for me a deer has no chance, especially down south with a rifle. Just so I, I decided to make it life hard on myself and bow hunt. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome, man. I you know, and I think that you know, kind of like what we were talking about there earlier. So I lived in in Starkville, which is where JP eventually went to school at Mississippi State for. I don't know, four, four and a, four and a half years probably. And, um, there's a lot of public land. I don't know, JP, when you were at Mississippi state, did you hunt some of the public like Noxaby and stuff around there? So I was, so I went to Tulane for the first four years and then my super senior year, I went to Mississippi state. Um, I, I tried to get there and hunt. Um, I scouted a little bit, but now I really couldn't, didn't get around to it too much just because we were freaking yeah. flooded with baseball all the time. Yep. And then, and so like that whole area, you know, you're, you're kind of in the East central part of the state, but you know, you could drive two hours towards the Delta and be, you know, hunting the swamps and, and bucks rutting in, you know, mid to late November. It was more towards Christmas for the rut where I was, or I could have head South and it's, you know, January or you jump over the Alabama line and it's for sure January. And so, like what's so unique about that area is that like uh, it's got a I mean not everybody but a lot of people hunt down there for sure compared to the population and density but I think what was so cool about it is like you would find like there were some serious serious hunters but they only gun hunted they were not bow hunters at all did not did not pick up a bow and so like the bow hunting you know was I would think dramatically was the minority down there and i don't know if it was just because of the landscape you know what it was or or what but i mean a lot of people hunted but i think again i think you got a lot of duck hunters who then rifle deer hunted just because it was it's an easy thing to adapt to versus you know i mean when you're a bow hunter you're practicing you know not year round but for four or five months you know and and even throughout the season and if you're a duck hunter you know, that takes up the time. So I would see like two definitive groups. There was like the deer bow hunter group, right? And then there was like the waterfowl guys. 
like very distinct, mm-hmm. you know, distinct differences down mm-hmm. there. Well, it's probably a big part of the culture too. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Like you said, and if it's tied to, to the duck hunting or, or not, you know, it's just, there's, there's probably more of a culture of, do they run uh, the deer dogs down there too? Is that mm-hmm. where that happens? There still is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense that there's, there's like, minor- well, and I mean, do frankly, we saw in Illinois, so <clears throat> JP, we didn't draw in Kansas last year, <clears throat> which is like kind of our same as you, you know what I mean? That's, that's, you know, the one that we're hoping for. Uh, didn't draw, so so we uh, looked at Illinois as a plan B, and it turns out a lot of other people did too because it's an over-the-counter state. Supposedly has big deer, you know, or you know it does if if you you know you know you know we're looking. Uh, dude, I'll tell you, we're in the south central uh, part of Illinois, and not one single person that we ran into down there, and we ran into quite a few, came from up north. They all came from like Mississippi uh in, in mm-hmm. louisiana mm-hmm. you know so and i think those are a lot of your your southern bow hunters you know they kind of know what they're they're working with down in, in the bayous and stuff it's you know there's deer there but you're so close to you know some of those more uh midwestern states that you know sure. most of them are heading north yeah i saw that in missouri a lot too Did you? a lot of louisiana come up into missouri and hunt yeah you know which is it's cool. And listen, there, I mean, so JP, where did you grow up in, in Louisiana? I'm about 30 minutes west of New Orleans. Okay. So, so like, a, yeah, way down there. So when you get up into the parishes that are like along the Mississippi border, Mississippi river border, I mean, there's some big deer up in those parishes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and obviously when you cross over on the Mississippi side in those counties that are in the Delta there, I mean, you know, it, it's definitely not, it, it's because I mean, you get these fragmented farm areas, but I mean, when you're in the Delta, it's big timber and swamps. I mean, so you might have a 160 inch five-year-old buck in there, but like, good luck getting on him. I mean, cause he's just got, he's got room to go. It's just, yeah. And it's hard hunting. Like you said, it's all marsh. So what might be like a mile trek in there, you either got a one get there by boat or you got a two get there with waders. <laughs> and then, like you said, if you, if you do get that 160, and you ha- and you hiked a mile in the swamp. Now you got to pull that some bitch out of there. Yeah. Somehow. So, yeah. so it's just it's it's just hard hunting, and and that's probably why a lot of people when they do get on these leases, it's just they try to stay away from the swamps and all that. Yeah. But one thing I didn't realize is that so I got a buddy. His dad is the guy who we go hunting up in with Kansas. He's got some land up there, and um. He said people in Kansas hate people from Louisiana and Mississippi. <laughs> we hear hate that. <laughs> we hear that often. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it's just the, the style hunting. Yeah, I don't know if it's I, the style hunting, but yeah. he says people from Louisiana and Mississippi just ruin hunting up there. Well, I think it's the mindset of like in Mississippi and Louisiana, like you can take multiple bucks in a season. So you may not – the, the first buck you might – kill isn't necessarily the one that you were after like the the bit you know biggest or most mature whereas you come to kansas you get one buck and so i think the texas guys were the other ones that we heard from from kansas is like they'll come in and just shoot you know 150 inch deer but it'll be a three-year-old you know and and those those guys out in kansas the residents are like yeah like we you know we would watch that deer for three more years well and i would imagine that that generally speaking applies to any out of state or people that aren't familiar yeah. with big deer i mean dude if i was from kansas and i knew guys were coming out from pennsylvania which is where we're from you know my first instinct is gonna be like those guys aren't gonna know mm-hmm. you know what you know but 
That's why we get pulled over too. We get, out of state. Yeah, we get pulled out over. Of you know, but once you, once you spend time out there, you know, we try to make it about um, a, a trophy f- for the area. You sure. know, so while we could go out there and easily kill, uh, not easily, you know, but it's very doable to kill a, a four-year-old 140-inch plus plus deer, and for, and for like around here, yeah, that's that's a great trophy. You know, you're really doing something. But um, you know, for that neck of the woods, it's those are a dime a dozen, you know, yeah, they don't talk about them. Yeah. You're better off kind of, yeah. Um, setting your sights on, on what the area can produce. And I mean, there are, there are some giants out there, no mm-hmm. doubt. And a lot of those Midwestern States, but so I can understand that, that mindset. We do, we don't have a, t- oddly enough, we don't have a ton of that, or I don't experience it like in Ohio. Like, you know, I, I think of Ohio as a, as a big buck state mm-hmm. and uh, granted I'm hunting primarily private ground. So I, I don't have a lot of issues, but like, yeah, I don't think you people see aren't that. traveling like a long, long ways Mm-mm. to hunt Ohio. That, that I've, I'm sure there are some. Same people, in Kentucky. Like when I'm hunting in my on my place in Kentucky, like I'll see out of staters, but nobody makes a big deal about it. You know, mm-hmm. I think maybe in the western part of Kentucky they will, but you know, that's it's just common. You know, whereas like these Midwest states, you know, especially Iowa and Kansas, those are the ones that stick out to me that people are like, oh, there's an out of stater. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's because those are like the the cream of the crop as far as like what you know opportunity to see or, mm-hmm. or kill a, a big mature boone a crockett buck you know iowa and kansas is and, and there's a handful of others too but i mean that's those are the states that are known for it yeah and i heard iowa's harder to get into than kansas right yeah it's like inflation right now dude every point we get it takes another point to draw it basically you need like <laughs> five points we and have then how many do we have we have four. four we got our fourth this year so we'll have to buy one more and then we can apply hopefully yeah, so that's craziness. The next presidency, <laughs> sometime. So, uh, so I was gonna ask. So, JP, we talked about this earlier, but all right. So, Tulane to then Mississippi State, and then drafted out of Mississippi State into um, the Astros organization, straight out. And you've been there since what, 2018, in the Astros organization? Yep, since 2018. Okay. So I went in 2018. I went from short season to low A, which is. Troy, New York, and Quad Cities, uh, Iowa. And then High A was Fayetteville, North Carolina. Double A was 2021, which is Corpus Christi, Texas. And then Sugarlands, Triple A. Wow, man. That's crazy. And and I think what's nuts, you know, like we talked about, you just don't know. Like next week, you get the call that you're, you're up in the big show. You get the call that you're traded. Like you just, you don't know. You just, yeah, you never know, dude. It's, it's a, it's a hell of a life to live, but it's, if you make it, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. And, you know, I think Jared and I kind of opened this up and it's obviously not to like, um, you know, I, I think you're probably different than, than a lot of these guys, but you know, it seems like, especially at the pro level, um, you know, there's definitely a ton of outdoorsmen, you know, especially in pro baseball, but you just don't see it. Is that, you think that's some of the suppression of just, you know, the general public maybe not looking at hunters favorably um i don't know dude because i i have a bunch of buddies and i know a bunch of guys that are huge bow hunters in the off season that play ball um like obviously you have your show on that outdoor channel major league bow hunting with all the retired professional guys the big name guys yeah but i mean i'm i'm a part of a, a little account um, called full count, full draw. And it's just a bunch of college guys who bow hunt. It's a bunch of minor league professional guys that, that bow hunt in the off season. And 
I think it's just one of those one of those things that not a lot of people just realize. I don't think it's something that's put out there that baseball players and hunters or bow hunters are really intermingled like a lot. Mm-hmm. See, see, I think for me, it's kind of the opposite. Like I hear what you're saying, like that they're not promoting it as much. And I understand maybe maybe why that's the yeah, case. I'm not saying that they're not they're hiding it necessarily, sure, sure. but you know, you, you just have to kind of look at the state of society. You know, like again, maybe different than JP playing for Houston Astros in Texas, where it's you know it's an outdoor lifestyle type thing, versus somebody who's playing for I don't know the Yankees or the White Sox, where they're in like sure. a major metropolitan area that hunting isn't looked on as favorable. Well, and so like for me, I, I could be dead right. wrong about this, and maybe it has a lot to do with that. Like you said, that show, Major League Bow Hunter and stuff. Uh, I just kind of, and definitely because of what I was saying earlier about the similarities between the outdoors mm-hmm. and, and sports, is that I just kind of assume that most people, most baseball players, anyways, hunt. Like in my mind, I'm just kind of like, Make I, that I just connection. assume that a lot of them do or open, or, you know, fishing's a big one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've come across more guys that fish than hunt. Um, there's probably two or three guys on my team that hunt and there's only one other guy that bow hunts um but like i said i'm on um the guy we actually just played this past this past series from vegas me and him have been in contact a whole bunch he i'm trying to remember where he's from but he plays in vegas um he's a huge bow hunter i know he was me and him were chatting back and forth last year like he kept sending me videos and pictures like he's so close to getting his big old buck. I'd, I'd send him videos of me. But, yeah, I think it's just one of those things, man, that just kind of like gets swept under the rug that nobody realizes. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's the I also think it's probably one of the only other sports that allows you to hunt like football. Really, you can't hunt. Right. Because of it taking all the fall commitment. Right, right. I mean, yeah, football, you're playing from what is it? Yeah, I mean, September, October to February. Yeah, September to February, October to February. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I think that's probably a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, because that's that's what you start to look at is what are these, what sports allow you to do that? And obviously, like, you know, I don't know, but like growing up, like I played fall ball and stuff. So, I mean, it's not like you didn't play, but like it definitely wasn't as call it serious as like the prime spring baseball season and summer baseball seasons right right so and then yeah and bow hunting for me it's just it's something like we were talking earlier it's just something for me to get my mind off of that that little white ball that i focus on from march to september yeah well and i i would think that has to be critical man and obviously like i'm not in the the professional side of things, but I know just from what I've heard, you know, especially cause you're obviously you're a pitcher, um, you know, sometimes your own head is your worst enemy in some of those things. Absolutely. And it's, it's so freaking similar to shooting a bow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary. <laughs> just muscle memory. It's just doing the, the same thing it's 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 pitching it's it's doing the same thing over and over and over and over again trying to do the exact same thing over and over again and if something's off by if your timing's off by just that second or if when you draw back if you're not if you're anchored just a a millimeter lower that arrow's going to go somewhere you don't want it to go yep so it's just 
it's super, super similar to, to pitching. Hmm. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, because that's what we were talking about is that, you know, whatever it is, that routine or that repetitiveness from like a hunting standpoint, you know, a lot of people, I think, you know, played sports in middle school and high school, maybe even college, you know, and they carry that into their routine from a, especially a bow hunting standpoint. Yeah. Well, just the regimen and discipline and yep. like appreciation for, yeah, the, the specifics yep. that go into shooting a bow successfully. Cool. Yeah. Did, uh, curious JP, did you have, when you, so was it 2015 you said you, you picked up your first bow and like, did you have kind of a, a mentor and was that like inside or outside the organization that was kind of like led you down that path of like, here's some different bows to look at. Like, here's how to shoot a bow. Like how did, how did that all come together for you? That that was just all me, all, yeah. all, all self-taught. <laughs> That's cool. Um, it was just a, a bunch of, bunch of, I guess you want to call it research and watching videos and how to videos and okay. You want to feel that knuckle here when you anchor down, you want to feel that the bow on the, the, the meat of your thumb and you just, and I think by me watching all those videos and knowing how specific shooting a bow was or could get, I was like, okay, I'm, I, I tinker with stuff all the time with pitching. I just can't be any, any harder than it is to throw a freaking baseball. Yeah. And that, and I mean, that's, what's crazy about it is like, and again, you know, I think you hear, you know, in the whatever eighties, nineties, like people needed mentors. Cause they're just, they're what, like, where else do you get information? You know, nowadays, I mean, you could watch how many different YouTube videos on, you know, tuning a bow or just proper technique or, yeah. you know, even when it comes down to the hunting side of things, whether you're talking about a Jeff Sturgis or Bill Winky or whoever, like you just go on and like watch those guys and they're going to give you the tips that you're kind of looking for. Yeah. Was there a primary like channel or a guy that you were kind of following that you learned a lot of that stuff from? Um, Honestly, it was just, I just bounced around. 2015 I, I know at the time that, probably probably Dudley was putting out a ton of Dudley like, was probably stuff. doing a lot and Bill, Bill did yeah. a decent amount Bill Winky was Winky. doing a lot in 2015 well and talk about like, polar opposites too Bill was shooting with like gardening gloves and, <laughs> and like trigger release no D loop yeah. you know and Dudley was probably ahead of his time with yep. back tension release back tension. And, mm-hmm. and all that stuff but yeah, and I think I think Chris. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think Chris B was was up there too that yeah. I was watching. Yeah, in 2015. Yeah, probably. I think I'm trying to remember. I think he started professional sure. shooting around that time. Cool, would be my guess. Awesome. Well, that's so important, man. To just find somebody that you can kind of relate to, or um, to, to kind of show you the ropes. I mean, if, like for me, and mm-hmm. I assume it was similar for Jeremy. It's like I, uh, you know, I had bows growing up, and they were just all little. Sure. You know, dinkers, basically. Things to just, like, go through the motions and couldn't have killed anything with it. Oh, I did kill a raccoon with it one time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a neighbor's it, cat, probably. It, it was always my goal to, like, be able to pull my dad's bow back. Yeah. And uh, just more out of, like, manliness than anything. Sure. I'm like, I'm, I got to be able to pull that thing back. And mm-hmm. and eventually I did. And it was, you know, it was way too long. And you kind of went through the natural progression of, like, once I could do that, my dad's like, well, Probably dry do you want a bow? You know, well, oh, for sure. <laughs> well, he was shooting fingers <laughs> and stuff anyway. So, yeah. so, and then I, you know, Tim and Jason at, at the bow shop, yeah. Ultimate Outdoors kind of g- gave me the the basics, mm-hmm. you know, here, here's how you want, cause obviously my dad was doing it all wrong, you know? And, uh, so once you get kind of the fundamentals down, then it's just practice. And I mean, dude, years and years of, of doing it wrong, you know, and, yeah. and messing up hunting opportunities under, you know, 
learning the hard way that like extra layers of clothes are messing me up or I can't anchor correctly because of mm-hmm. my elbow gap here. And so, so now finally I'm 29 now. So it's taken me 20 sure. years, I guess, to like, <laughs> yeah, I'm 38. I'm still learning. Get through it, shit. figure all that stuff out, beat target panic. Finally to a point where, where now I feel very comfortable with my bow. And I, it's, I see you're sitting back there too. I think we got a similar, similar setup there, JP, but anyways, it's, I was, <laughs> I was going to ask JP on your side, just because again, you know, um, your body, your arm, it, that that's your future. <clears throat> Does anybody, or even in your own mind, do you ever, I don't know how to put it, I guess, freak out about, you know, injuring like your shoulder or anything, pulling bows and stuff, or, or do you take that into, you know, mindset? Like, I don't know. What are you pulling? Are you pulling just the 70 pound limbs on yours or? No, I got 80. Holy jeez, you My and Jared God. are like freaking brothers. My God. <laughs> Minus the fact that you can grow a mean ma- mustache and he cannot. <laughs> oh, <boy>. Mine's not <laughs> so strong. Yeah. We, we need to start planning for Kansas like eight months in advance for our mustaches. Oh, I, I will be starting in and around July. <laughs> yeah. You get a you get a hint of that like late summer mm-hmm. wind. I'm like, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, there it is. There it yeah. is coming up. Yeah, but no, seriously. I mean, because you know, and I say that mainly because like uh, obviously not sports related, but I had like a partial tear in my rotator cuff this this fall, um, and you know, I was fortunately it was my draw arm, so I you know I could still hunt the whole season. But I mean, it definitely you know wasn't didn't feel great. You know, when I was drawing and shooting and practicing. Mm-hmm. Dude, I tell everybody, I'm like, look, it, so when 2020 came around, we didn't, minor leagues ended up not having a season. Mm-hmm. So that whole season, I shot my bow like crazy. And I still shoot my bow like crazy during the season. But um, I think it's honestly helped my shoulder because we'll actually have like in our, in our post throw or rehab program that we have after we throw there's actually one where you do you hold a you hold a resistance band and you pull just and they sure. call it bow and arrows yeah i mean i would because we you know anybody that actually bow hunts especially if you start pulling weight that's heavier than you probably should i mean you use a whole different set of muscles you know when when you're drawing especially you know think about like the the hold test right we've all probably done it where you know we draw back and just see how long we can hold back there comfortably and still be able to pull the shot off you learn pretty quickly that like you you either have strength in those muscles or you need strength in those muscles yeah. um, because you know there's probably plenty of people that pull back and in the first 15 20 seconds you're already rattling you know yeah well, yeah and I've and I've, I've told people that kind of ask me questions and I'm like if you if you're pulling a bow back the right way everything your form's good you really don't use shoulder. You use your lat. You use everything back here to pull that bow back, mm-hmm. not just straight shoulder. If mm-hmm. you're pulling your bow back with just your straight shoulder, something's wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, and you're right, Jeremy. So, like, I, you know, I lift weights year, year round. Like, I'm just trying to stay in shape generally. Mm-hmm. But then for, for bow season, ideally you're doing that year round too. But I mean, realistically, like, work comes into play sure. and stuff. And so, like, right around this time of the year, um, you know, we'll start busting the bow out and you just get that, that muscle memory again. Mm-hmm. And then once, you know, once you get a, f- a few reps in, you know, a couple of weeks of that, I, I really have been enjoying over the past couple of years, starting into practice with a bow. Yeah, me too. So like, 
you know, just watching TV or like during the day, like I I just keep my bow right there at my, at the table. Um, I'll come to full draw Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it's a slow, meticulous draw. I mean, I just make sure I'm focusing on, on the muscles that it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, whatever I can do, I'll do, I'll do reps with it. So I'll start and I'll hold for, you know, 30 seconds. Let's say then Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let down, I'll rest for 10. I'll draw again, I'll hold for 30 and I'll do like three to five sets Mm -hmm. of, you know, 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, I'll work that up to, and I'll vary it to like, you know, if I can do, if I can do six sets of a minute, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. And and that relates or that, that carries over to a hunting situation. Oh, it's, it's, it's invaluable, man. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I had one, it was probably 2018 or something. I shot a doe and I remember holding on her for damn near like a minute and 50, you mm-hmm. know, and obviously unplanned, but like you get in those situations where they, they catch you or whatever, and you're just waiting for them to make the one step forward, you know, and, and if you, if you don't work those muscles and, and at least try to have some repetition of practice and holding, you know, you're, you're going to make a piss poor shot, you know, or you're just not gonna be able to hold it and you're gonna have to let down. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, but like, you know, the less motion you have in that stand, you know, the better off you're going to be to, to killing that animal. For sure. There's, uh, probably different schools of thought too. And, and there's going to be pros and cons to each, but like, I don't know, call, call it like the elite guy, you know, mm-hmm. the hundred percent let off type of a guy mm-hmm. wants to draw when they first see that deer. Oh, here he comes. Get ready, yep. you know, get ready. Yeah. And the, the, you know, because of the let off on those bows, you, you can hold them for a long time. Sure. You know, if you're prepared for it. Personally, I, I would, I would almost rather miss miss an opportunity because I waited too long to draw mm-hmm. than, um, you know, than have to hold for a super long extended period of time. Like yeah. I just, I've had bad experiences with that, and it seems like they always end up busting you eventually and stuff. So I, typically, I do everything I can to to read the animal as good as I can and, and draw moments before. Yeah. You know, typically, I'm not at full draw for more than. Yeah. Five seconds. I'd rather not be if, if all possible. Yeah. The Hunter podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately, that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Southcam.com. Check them out. So, JP, obviously, end goal here is uh, get you into the big show, right? And, you know, obviously your schedule is hectic as it is. But, you know, the moment you hit that big show, I mean, you're you're moving out and about traveling a lot at that point. Um, you know, and again, it, you know, if all goes as planned, you know, hopefully it's into the fall, right, for playoffs and stuff. Right, you know, right, do, do when you think about that, do you think that that will, I mean, obviously it'll affect your, your bow hunting a little bit, but you know, how do you, how do you think that you could keep in that same mindset so that when you're finally out of season, you're like, all right, I can jump in the stand, I can get rolling. You know, is it that kind of repetition and practice type of thing? Uh, or do you think you're pitching, you know, and just those, those constant motions and mindset like that helps you jump right back into it? 
I think that what what you just said kind of helps me jump right back into the whole. So that March to September is obviously the season, and while we're throwing the workouts, we do we either. So we do, when you're a starter, you divide it up into two sections. You go lower and upper. Mm-hmm. Um, so like tomorrow, I'll work out legs, and then the day I throw my bullpen, I'll work out upper body. But when we do work out that upper body, it is it's just all back. It's just all shoulders. So by doing that, it keeps all that super strong. Obviously, I need it for the season. But I mean, it honestly helps me shooting a bow too. It, it kind of keeps me in bow shooting kind of keeps me in bow shooting form and bow shooting shape but not yeah. really everybody knows that shoots a bow it's just that's a dip that's different yeah because the first time i picked my bow up probably last month me and my buddy would go shoot archery range over here and man i was drenched in sweat and then probably by my 20 25th hour i was already shaking i'm like yeah. man i gotta get back into this <laughs> yeah isn't it crazy i mean it it i think it does come back fast like once you get back into it and stuff you know and and even if it's shooting 10 arrows or 20 arrows a night like you can you find your rhythm again but you know those first few shoots back out you know i you know i feel like i draw back and i'm like my bones are creaking i'm like all right now i'm, I'm wow. into this thing and it kind of puts in perspective when you realize there are a lot of guys that pick that bow up the day before season and send one down and are like yep it's still, still on good. still on like a rifle i mean that's what you would do for a rifle you know you go out you know put blow the dust off Set it on the rest, shoot 100 yards. Yep, she's still on. You're ready to go. Yeah, and I think that's going back to what we were talking about, why a bunch of people don't hunt Mississippi, uh, bow hunt in Mississippi and Louisiana, is because I don't think people want to form that bond with their bow. They don't want to They don't want to put in the effort. They just want to show up and hunt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a big one. And, and I think it's – you know, and I get it. it the time is limited, right? And you all, you obviously have to prioritize and divide up your time as necessary, you know, because there's only so much time in the day. But, you know, when you get into something like bow hunting, you know, I, I was one for sure that, um, you know, when the I would practice up to the season, when the season started, I basically stopped shooting my bow. You yeah. know, it would just be, I was just hunting, essentially. And, like, quickly, I you know, whether it was a miss or whatever, I was like, you know what, I need to, it doesn't have to be a much, but you know, once or twice a week, I need to go shoot 20 arrows, you know, just throughout the week to keep that, keep that on me, keep me thinking about it, you know, but, uh, it was just something that I was like, okay, it's season, you know, now I'm hunting, I'm not practicing. And then, you know, if you don't do that till November, you know, you might be sitting on that bow for six weeks without essentially, you know, ever firing a shot. Well, you know what that probably is, is like, it's, it's kind of like, when you practice, when you study for a test for a long time, or you prepare for like a big game or something, um, it's like once once the time is there or it's it's near, you know, you kind of like okay, I've done the work. Let me let me put that subconscious. I know that I know what I'm doing. You know, now let me focus on like the the mission. Yeah, you know, and where that kind of doesn't work or it starts to fade over the course of a deer season is it's a long season. Mm-hmm. You know, and so while maybe for the first couple of weeks you do have that, you know, those, those skills are still sharp and stuff. Like once, you know, once early mid November starts to set and you've already hunted mm-hmm. five, 10, 15 times, you know, maybe you haven't shot your bow nearly as much. You kind of start to, to yep. lose that edge a little bit. And so, yeah, there, there should be, I do think it should probably be maybe a, a little less. Like, I don't think you need to shoot your bow as much as like mm-hmm. throughout the summer months, but 
there should be enough there to like keep you sharp, make sure you're still on it. Well, I think that's where the sports mindset comes back in is like during the season, you're even like exactly. whether you pitch or play a game or whatever, you still practice throughout the season. It's not like you're just playing games right. essentially. Right. You know, and so it's right. It's right. that same that same mindset. You know, I think what really changed for me is when we started going out to the Dakotas for mule deer hunting, you know, because obviously like I don't think I've killed a, a whitetail further than 35 yards maybe something like that mm-hmm. um and so but when we started doing those mule deer hunts you know we were forced to be ready to shoot at 50 60 even and then i was practicing out the couple weeks 70 before, and 80 deer season too. you know and so during the whitetail season i find myself practicing at that 60 70 mark just because then when i step up to 30 35 it feels like a, a chip shot yeah you know and so I think a lot of guys immediately go out and they're like, well, I'm never going to shoot more than 30. So they only practice at 30. Well, then when that 30 yard shot comes up, it still feels long. Yeah. That's funny how much, yeah, of it no is, doubt. funny how much of it is mental too. Cause dude, I noticed like if I'm, if I'm holding tight at like 60 yards, mm-hmm. sometimes if I move in and start shooting 30 yards, I'm like not as accurate. And that's obviously doesn't make sense, but sure. it's, I think it's just because like you, you realize how much how hard it is to shoot 60 yards so your focus is peaking yeah you know and at 30 i'm just kind of like i got this and yeah, then just my accuracy kind of just slinging down <laughs> yeah yeah no doubt and and the biggest thing when i start to back up like that is just telling myself just trust the bow the bow's gonna where the where the pin is is where the arrow's gonna go just trust the bow let the bow do its job all you gotta do is get a clean shot yeah yeah that makes a lot Don't, of sense yeah, yeah but, don't don't make don't make that arrow go there. Well, Just, and, yeah, and I don't know if that's where you get these, um, you know, call it buck fever or whatever. I mean, I think target panic is different than the buck fever aspect of things, right? One is like where I'm like really practicing type of thing, and the other one is like the situation. Although some people have both, you know, I think that like because I've seen guys who are amazing at target shooting, and frankly, they couldn't kill a deer if their life depended on it. When it, the situation arises, like they just freak out mentally. Yeah, dude, I'm not sure which one is worse, honestly. Yeah. I, fortunately, I, I don't think I've ever really suffered. I mean, everybody experiences buck fever, but I mean, I don't think I've ever really suffered from it to where it's in, sure. it's impacted a shot. But I know several people who, like, I mean, it, it cripples them. Yeah. It cripples them. They just don't know how to, like, stay calm during that situation. And maybe they're a, a great shot, mm-hmm. but, you know, but when, when they have to stay calm through that, can't it's do just it. they can't do it. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I freaking, I had that by probably, that was probably the first deer I pulled back on. I mean, groups I had didn't matter 20, 30, 40, 50 yards. They were super, super, super tight. And then the fir- first doe I ever shot at walked out on me and she was probably 20 yards, super easy chip shot, shot right under her. and dad, my dad came out. He'd never bow hunted. Um, he came out, we found the arrow stuck in the ground. There was no blood. He goes, dude, I see you shooting the target all the time. How did, how do you miss that? And I was <laughs> kind of playing it back in my head. I was like, I didn't even miss it. I said, I just pulled back at 20 and then put the pin on and that was it. Yeah. But he was like, he's like, dude, I see you put these, I, I see you shoot these arrows in these targets and you freaking don't miss. All of a sudden a deer gets in front of you and you miss. Yeah. Well, you hear that's that a different thing. Yeah, I mean, you hear the guys yeah. that basically say, you know, like almost to where their bow feels like a hundred pounds, like they can't lift their bow up to reach the target. Like it, they just 
you know, it's all mental in terms of how they freeze and, and lock up. But I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a serious issue. And I think that, you know, the only way that you get better at that is by being put in those situations, essentially, yeah. you know, and being able to work on them. Well, that's why it's so important, I think, to like make your practice as realistic as possible, you know, whether that's just hunting from a tree stand or, or buying a deer shaped target, you know, mm-hmm. you can get these Glendales and Reinhardt's, like all these different things. That's made a big difference for me. You yeah. Know, just, just to, I mean, you putting an arrow in a, in a, in a bag is a totally different thing than, than taking a life, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, the repercussions associated with that, I think I have subconscious yeah. uh, effect, whether you, you acknowledge that or not. And so to, to, to try to make your practice as real as possible and to imagine it like a real thing. Mm-hmm. I know that shooting them deer targets made a, a big difference for me from an aiming standpoint and just like, I mean, it's close. Sure. Yeah, the only thing is that that thing's not alive. That's the only difference. It's been the best way to teach my kids on where to, where to shoot yeah. versus like it, you just hit a target and then a deer walks out. They don't know where to aim. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's 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 that repetition, it's that training of your mind and your body that that continues. And again, you know, it's not the dish on the crossbow, guys, but it's it's why I say it is harder to kill a deer with a vertical compound bow than a crossbow, and it is harder to kill a deer with a long bow or a recurve bow than it is a compound bow. Like it's those are just facts. You know, like the fact is, is somebody could give me a, a crossbow with a scope that is sighted in for fifty yards. I could never have shot that thing before and shoot 50 yards and be bullseye first time you give me somebody's compound bow that i've never used before you're not going to be able to shoot that accurately sure just just impossible sure so well jp what uh what plans do you have for hunting this year oh obviously uh obviously kansas i might get back on that lease with my buddies in mississippi or with my wife and i are thinking about moving up to uh hopkinsville kentucky Ooh, we might get a house or not. We're not sure yet. Yeah, Western yep. Kentucky. There you go, man. So you guys are thinking about. So wh- where did Hopkinsville, Kentucky, come up? So she's got. So her she's from Fayetteville, North Carolina, but they got a good family friend. Um, that lives in Hopkinsville, and I think he's got like forty, sixty acres or something like that. Mm-hmm. So. She's she wants to be close to because her mom and dad's thinking about moving Hopkinsville, so she wants to be close to family. Yep. when the baby's born. Yep. So how, so that's an option. How does that affect your travel to Texas for playing and stuff? Uh, it won't be bad because um, in March, everybody for at least the Astros and a couple other teams report to Florida for spring training, and the other half will go to Arizona. Yep. So from september to february we will be we just need somewhere to call home base and then from march i'll go to florida and then from florida i'll go to if i'm sold the astros and not with the big i'll go back to sugarland gotcha gotcha yep yeah it wouldn't be i mean from september to to february to be in western kentucky would not be a bad place for a hunter not at all (laughs) (laughs) It's not a, at all yeah that's I, uh, I, I can think of a couple i can think of a couple worse spots <laughs> yeah no doubt well especially because our uh, kentucky openers first week of september velvet opener oh that's it i, I forgot kentucky's that early i yeah. forgot about that yeah it's it hot. opens up the same you'll, time you'll be sweating does. you be yes sweating. you will yeah. be sweating but i mean chance at a at a giant velvet buck is always worth the sweat 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm used to the sweating, just not a giant velvet butt. <laughs> yeah, sweating for no good reason. <laughs> yeah, I get that part. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the cool thing about that Western Kentucky part is you've got Missouri's like an hour away, Illinois is like an hour away. Yeah. I mean, you can, you've I'm got de- multiple dude, states I'm like right there. Definitely envious of those guys who are like closer to the Midwestern states. Like for, sure. for us, dude, it's a big deal. It takes us like 16 hours to get out to Kansas. Yes. You know? Yep. But I don't know. Every, every time I complain about something that's like, you know, our situation or whatever, it's like I, I have to appreciate the fact that it's because it's so far and because it's such like a it's such an adventure. You know, that's that's what makes it so fun for us. Like mm-hmm. it, it's a bigger deal whether they know it or not for us to make that 16 hour journey than it is for somebody from Missouri, sure. even though it's probably right. better hunting to pop across the line. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge deal for us. And, I mean, you, you get frequency. I mean, so, like, when I lived in Missouri and was hunting Kansas, like, it was a four-and-a-half-hour drive to where we hunt now. And so I'm I not was, saying I wouldn't trade it for that. But. No, I mean, so I, I gave that, you know, I gave up a lot of Missouri hunting to drive that four-and-a-half hours to Kansas and hunt, and it paid off. But, like, yeah, I mean, I think now it's just the, the hardest part about living further from where you want these, like, big destination hunts to be is typically it requires more pre-planning. You know, so, like, we typically say, okay – this third week in November is when we're going. And if the weather sucks, then it sucks for us, period. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. Like you can't, because you're not close, you can't say, well, let's wait for the first cold front in October because we don't have the flexibility. So, by the way, I pitched the opener. Mm-hmm. It's not a no. Oh, you pitched it to your wife. Yeah. It's not a no. It's not a no. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. It's definitely, <laughs> it's a tight turnaround. Yeah. So like we're leaving... The 16th, I think, for uh, an elk hunt. For the elk hunt. Mm-hmm. And the season opener in Kansas this year is the 12th. It's a real tight turnaround. <laughs> so we could potentially do like the 10th, 11th, 12th uh-huh. hunt one day, hang stands the first two. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to get home till at least the 13th because you're going to hunt the evening of the 12th. Yep. Then I got the 14th, 15th mm-hmm. at home to, to just like regroup real quick. We'll see how that plays out for yeah. you. Well, so I'm just I'm putting that tentatively so on the tell table. Tell me there's a chance. Well, because that would give us a day or two to have corn on the ground and one day to mm-hmm. just take a stab at it. Kill a velvet giant and It'd be Kansas. pretty cool, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm not. I mean, I'll hopefully I've already killed one in Kentucky by that point. That's my plan. Yeah. So, yeah, man, it, it's, um, yeah, I think the, the, the cool thing is when you get around a group of bow hunters, and it could be any hunters, I guess I shouldn't say just bow hunters, but, you know, and you start looking forward to those trips, like whether it's Kansas. And, I mean, I didn't hunt out of state until, you know, I was in my mid-20s probably. You know, my dad didn't hunt out of state till he was in his 50s. Um, you know, but it when you start to, like, go from a state like Pennsylvania to Kansas and you experience Kansas, you're like, oh, like, this is what they mean when they talk about, like, Midwest deer hunting. Yeah. It's just, it's it's mind-blowing. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Well, dude, I'm so excited to take my dad this year. Yeah. Uh, he He's never hunted deer west of Ohio. Yeah. And he's killed, um, I'm trying to think what his biggest deer is. He, he killed a 150-inch buck, mm-hmm. you know, on our farm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he has no idea what, what he's getting into here. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. I mean, Kansas, Kansas is just like... You know what I mean? The big show. It is. I think that's like Yeah, it's 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 unreal. I had shoot two years ago I had one come out on me. We had a bunch of pictures of him and stuff. He was probably 
Yeah, we were hunting late now. We were probably in December or late uh, November, uh, probably late November, early December. Um, post rut, and I had this deer walk out. He had to be 180, 190, and that was probably the the biggest deer I've ever freaking saw in my life, especially being from Louisiana. Um, <clears throat> when he stepped out, he honestly looked like a freaking mule deer to me. Yeah, I was like, oh my, oh my god. Um, <laughs> but then those freaking deer are so much smarter than I am. He was either he was either always standing behind a spike because at this point I think I had like seven or eight deer at this feeder. Um, he was either standing behind the spike or he was always standing behind the feeder. And then I saw him finally starting to work his way around. I drew back. He went right behind another spike. And all of a sudden, he's, I might have had three or four spikes there. All of a sudden, these two freaking spikes started going at it, fighting. He wanted no part of it, took off running. I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> but after I told the, – so the guy we go hunting with, after I told him what deer I saw, he goes, dude, that, that deer's – pre-rud during the rut he goes that's a 300 pound deer i said oh he was every bit of 300 pounds yeah yeah <laughs> he was just a monster it's crazy man that that is a big difference i mean i i'm you know we've all killed probably mature bucks and you know seen what a 200 pound deer looks like in kansas there are legitimate 300 pound on the hoof deer and they're monsters yep. you know and and they're tough as nails you know and they live in some nasty environments and they get old too you know, and, and all of those things is what makes it such a, a cool experience. I mean, you could pattern deer, um, and you could see bucks on camera, but like, ultimately you never know what's going to show up in Kansas, you know, whatever, what's over in the next pasture, what's in the next drainage. You just don't know. I mean, that, that 200 inch typical deer of a lifetime could come out of that drainage and nobody ever seen them before because mm -hmm. it's just remote, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's the key here. You just have to be remote to get these deer older and, and, you know, further along in their, their antler growth cycle. So, that, yeah, I think we, that, that buck, I think we figured out he was probably six or seven years old. He yep. was, yeah, he was old. So that's a, a friend's piece of private property that you have to hunt up there then? Yeah. So a guy that I played ball with at Tulane, his dad, he used to lease like, three four thousand acres from a farmer but i think Whoa. now the farmer just wanted he wanted to go up on prices so now he just owns i think 200 that we're gonna hunt up there mm -hmm. awesome yeah the right 200 is is all you need man i mean did we yeah we have a couple leases out there but frankly we hunt as much or maybe more public than we do even our leases it just kind of gives us some options to bounce around with four guys mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i i, I want to get into the public hunting thing up there it's just I don't back home. I don't have really anybody to bow hunt with. It's literally just me and the lease I'm on right now in Louisiana. There's only one other guy that bow hunts on that lease is a rifle hunter. Yeah. So there's nobody I can really call up and be like, Hey, you want to make a bow hunting trip or anything like that? So, yeah, well, you got we could probably help you. We could probably help you with that. <laughs> check, check this out, man. This is a public land Kansas buck. Yep. That uh, I'm hoping to catch up with this year. This was, this was two, two years ago. Two years ago, it was probably a four year old, and we found another deer that at the time was five, six, five or six, uh, just as big, giant, eight yeah, point, hundred yards away from there, also on public. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's some great public land opportunities. It in does Kansas. get. I mean, it, the, the unfortunate thing. I won't say 
super unfortunate, but if you're looking to kill big bucks, you know, the pressure on Kansas and the draw system has been immense since COVID, you know, and, and, but prior to that, it was still, you know, you'd have a lot of people hunting, but it, it wasn't nearly as pressured as it is now. And so, you know, there are certain areas that, you know, six, seven years ago, I never saw a guy and now there's 10 trucks, you know, lined up at, at a public area and stuff. So, I mean, certain areas are definitely getting more pressure, but, um, you know, if you, it, again, it's just get remote, the more you can get away from people and the, that kind of just vast Kansas plains rolling drainages, the more you're going to have the chance of seeing a giant. Yeah. You got, you got to hunt where nobody wants to go. That's it, man. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, the harder it is to get there, more likely that there's a giant back there. So I used to take, yep. a, <laughs> used to take a kayak down into where this one was at. I know why you keep, keep saying used to, cause. That's probably how you're going to get there again. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get smarter this year. Mm. <laughs> Pulley system across the river. That's right. A little hang glider. Yeah. Drone. Yeah. <laughs> you probably just put waders on. You probably could wait across that thing. No way. Chess waders? No. You don't think so? No, dude. It's, it's a sketchy river. <laughs> it's like, it's at least 10, 15 foot deep. In spots. There's other spots you had to like drag the kayak yeah. over. Yeah. Hmm. We'll just put a zip zip line across there. I got a strategy. All right, I trust it. Sounds like sounds like you going hunting Louisiana with all that work. Yeah, uh, you know what, dude? That's <laughs> that kind of terrain is my least favorite. I I've always said like you ever see that show Naked and Afraid? Mm -hmm. I've always felt like that was pretty doable. I was like, mm -hmm. man, if they drop me off, I could probably swing that mm -hmm. anywhere except like. Louisiana mm -hmm. or like those the bayous and stuff. I'm just like, dude, mm -hmm. the, the snakes. Well, that's what I was going to say. We were, you know, JP was talking about like how to get back into some of these spots and like, you know, I'm a Northern guy. Right. So I get on the Mississippi. It was like first year there, you know, it's December, but it's 50 degrees, you know, but it, it's, it's rod. I mean, you, you want to get back in there. So, you know, in, in the South, especially in like December, January, I mean, we get some rain and I mean, it'll, it'll flood things out, right. Which is good for the duck hunters, bad for the deer hunters trying to access back end spots. And so I'd probably about a mile walk into this back spot and, uh, we got gotten a ton, or ton of rain. And so you know, I'm wading through this, like what normally was not like a swamp, but had now, you know, flooded up to like knee deep type thing. You know, you're sloshing back through there. And I look and was like, what the hell? It's like beavers or something, you know, like going through. And then I realized they're freaking water moccasins. Their heads just <laughs> look like a damn beaver head. And those things are freaking, dude, I was like on the water, like running off of that thing. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, I've had, I've had enough of this kind of stuff. You know, it's December. I'm deer hunting. I don't need to be worried about moccasins chasing me down in the swamps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd honestly rather deal with hunting like that than because I got some family that that lives out like probably an hour south of San Antonio, and dude, I freaking mountain lions, snakes, dude, everything out there. Yeah, and I'm I'm just at least with a water moccasin, you you, you kind of you can see them from afar. Those freaking rattlesnakes over here. Yeah. You're on top of them. You don't know. You don't know until you're about five. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, it's um, 
And I mean, you get that anywhere. Like when we, they've talked about it in Kansas for years about rattlesnakes. I don't think we've ever seen uh, one. Well, the first time we went out there, I was like paranoid because it was like I think we wore gators. It was the summer. Yeah, we were like trudging through, and I was like every step, and I was like, now it's like I don't even think about it. It's just for just got. Yeah, the only thing I got to worry about is pulling ticks out of my butthole out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, that's about it. Yeah. You know, especially in the summertime. The Dakotas too, man. You know, and I'm sure they're out there, but we we've hunted for two years and haven't seen. I've seen snake. more snakes in Kentucky, rattlesnakes in Kentucky, than I have in any of those other states. Yeah, you know, in terms. So, yeah, it's. I mean, it's anywhere you go. Well, they they talked about it in Shawnee National Forest when we were out there in in Illinois. We started looking up, and they've got all these like, you know, snake celebrations i don't know what the hell they were <laughs> snake charming celebrations or something but like there's like yeah there's like rattlesnakes all through this thing we're just like walking through we didn't know yeah i'm like oh it's illinois there's not rattlesnakes on here apparently we're wrong yeah speaking of mountain lions there's uh where i'm going on an elk hunt this year in colorado we we saw a couple mountain lions Did last you? time yeah it was paralleling us like we, we put the, we hobble the horses at night and mm-hmm. put them out in the pasture so they can't go real far because they're like yeah and uh yeah, there was a few nights there was mountain lion kind of talking around past, them. them, and I we saw it kind of mm. going back and forth. That's wild, man. Those things. Yeah, the place I the place I go in Kansas, they uh, the the guy who owns the property, he was like, "Yeah, we uh, we saw we got a mountain lion on camera around here." I was like, "Hey," I was like, "Stop, stop, stop messing with me." He goes, "No, no, no, I'm telling you, they we we caught a mountain lion on camera. I think I think you said a year ago." So I went on, they dropped me off to go to this stand. I walked through this big thicket, um, opens up to a little tripod. <laughs> he said, all right, um, we'll shoot you a text when we're, when we're here. Um, I said, all right, and I'll make my way down. They shoot me a text, nothing. I didn't see anything that day. They shoot me a text. All right, start heading out. So I start walking through that thicket again, start heading back. When I get to the truck, they're like, "Oh, by the way, that's the that's the stand we saw the mountain lion." And they said, "I told I told you that I was gonna put a uh, put a speaker out there with a mountain lion sound and just well, when you were walking through to turn it on." I said, "Dude, you need to never seen me run so fast before in your life." <laughs> God's crazy. They do find them every once in a while out there. Missouri has them every once in a while that come through. These things travel, man, far, like far, far distances. Mm. It's wild. Is there a recent report of one attacking a human? Probably out west, California. Yeah, probably California would be my guess too. Or Nevada. I know they There's killed just... quite a few of them in Montana. Like they, mm-hmm. they hunt them fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. There's just no escape from those things. You can't get away from anywhere you go. They, yeah. They climb. They're, they're fast. You just yeah. you can't get away from those things. Yeah, I'm if they want to pounce you, they're, they're on you. And, I mean, they just – Yeah. Because the hunting on them is so restricted, you know, it they're just conti- – just like coyotes, they're just continually encroaching on uh, these urban areas, you know, especially in, like, California and stuff. I mean, you, know, you go to, like, L.A. County and stuff down there, Orange County, like, they're they're in the backyards of these people. You know, mm. and they're just going to continue to lose fear of people because of that. So, you know. Dude, I never realized how smart those freaking coyotes were. We had a problem back home in Louisiana. They would, what they would do is they would walk through our neighborhoods and the people that would kind of just keep their dogs outside or whatever, the, the coyotes would actually walk up to them and like start playing with the dogs. Like, like they were just another dog. 
and then they would they would head off and run into the woods, and the other dog would follow it, trying to just playing with the coyote. They would get in the woods, and they'd have six of them waiting for that dog, and the dog's done. Dang. Yeah. I didn't realize how smart those freaking things were. They just keep producing. They are wily. The wilies. I've seen a bunch of foxes lately. <clears throat> have you? Yeah, and around my house. Yeah. Yeah, just a bunch. Nice. Well, cool. Well, so let's see, JP. What, well, first of all, uh, thanks for coming on this morning. Number two is we'll we'll be watching. Obviously, now, man, we're waiting for your call to the big show. At this point, that's probably what'll make our podcast big is when JP <laughs> goes to the big show. <laughs> then they'll be like, they'll just start. We'll be like, we did that. Yeah, that was like, us. They'll start Google searching. Yeah. And they'll like, they'll be like, who's this JP France guy? Besides him having a spectacular mustache, like, what, what is, what do we need to know about this guy? And then they'll find the Hunter podcast, and that'll be it. You know, start. There him. you go. Start him right there after. You go. That's it. Are you a right? Are you a righty? Yeah, I'm a right hander. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering. That. Yeah, just uh, and that dude, it's 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 crazy. The our draft class in 2018, it was a. I think we had one lefty in our draft class. It was all a bunch wow. of six foot, two hundred pound right handed. That's it. And every it was weird because like the how different organizations look for different things. Sure. Like, like the Rangers, they they really try to get guys that that pass the eye test that are like six five, six six. Like your typical yeah, big slingers. When somebody yeah, when somebody said. Is, oh, that, that good picture. That's what they look for. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Astros are more tied into, at least from what I've noticed, is that they're more tied into like numbers and stuff, mm-hmm. like how, how how everything spins, how everything moves, and just all that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very cool, man. Do you? But uh, no, it's it. Yeah, it's crazy. Do you wear the uh, Do you wear the specs when you're pitching, like like Wild Thing, Charlie Sheen style? I do. I got I got a pair of the Oakleys that I wear when I pitch. Very so it's the nice. glasses and the glasses and the stash. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Freaking batters are scared shitless at this point, man. <laughs> it's like we were talking. You said your wife was the only one who didn't like the stash. She's just pure intimidated from it. That, that's that's probably it. <laughs> you just don't want to admit it. <laughs> oh, it's funny, man. Well, listen, dude, stay in touch with us. Uh, we seriously will be watching watching your career here, man. We wish you the best of luck, and you know, we should get together for a hunt or something sooner than later. Absolutely, absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. Cool. We appreciate it, JP. Thanks, buddy. See you, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Word. See y'all. Cool. Uh, yeah, man, it's it's funny when you get in. It, number one, cool to see like like-minded people like JP, obviously, and and um, but it is funny when you you start to look at it, you know, especially in his mindset of of being a you know a professional pitcher is like, it is that just it's exact repetition, you know, bow shooting your bow and practicing your bows the exact same thing as you're doing when you're you know you're pitching. Yeah. Um, I'm sure just like bow hunting too, it's it's good therapy. It's it's hard to focus on anything besides. Sure. Well, and like you said, it eventually, you know, you, your own head's your worst enemy, whether you're talking about your bow or talking about sports and pitching or whatever. You get inside your own head that something's wrong, and, I mean, something seems wrong on your bow, and it may not be. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's the same with, with sports and, and kind of how you go through that. But, yeah, I mean, I think the other big thing is you think about, like, the, you know, J.P.'s – 
I don't know if he's not one of the first, besides Bronson, obviously. He was one of the first, like, southern guys we talked to. You know, that deep south hunting, Louisiana, Mississippi. And, I mean, dude, there's some big bucks down there, but you, you hear it over and over again. It's tough hunting. It's tough mm-hmm. territory. It's tough It's tough habitat. It's swampy. You know, it's big timber. Um, it's pines. And, like, you know, those— It's my least favorite part of the country, if I'm being honest. Yeah. those. I mean, and there are some big bucks down there. Don't get me wrong. And there's some old bucks down there. It's just, it's tough, tough hunting. Yeah. Uh, it took three years from like me to adapt when I was down there. Cause I was just like, you know, to, just things that these deer would do. Like, you know, there'd be a hundred acre clear cut where they cut pines out and replanted. And they're like, yeah, you want to be next to that clear cut. And I'm like, it's a hundred acres. How do I bow hunt a hundred acre clear cut? Mm-hmm. You know, and they would, because they'd have a, a food plot in the middle or something. Right. You know, public land, you didn't have that. So then you started looking at these funnels, like, okay, this, this clear cut pinches down. And like, there is clearly a pinch right here. And then I'll be like, oh, I kill a buck there because that's that's how these deer are moving, you know. But it's it's tough. The weather's tough. It's hot. You know, you get into December, January, and it still could be seventy degrees. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, it's a different beast down there. But you know, it's something I think you and I've talked about several times of expanding our season and thinking about you know going that way in December or January, you know, to still yeah. catch the rut or something down there. So yeah, no, we thought. I mean, it, w- it would be cool. I mean, we've seen like. You know, we've seen some of the real tree guys, and I've seen Levi do some hunting mm-hmm. down in, in Mississippi. Like, th- there's some there's some places down there where you can you can do it. Yeah, I've also sat and seen like nothing for weeks at a time. <sighs> yeah, but yeah, it's you know, it it's one of those things that you know it it starts to make sense as you hear kind of like even like dedicated hunters like JP of like okay, this is what this habitat's like. It's tough to hunt, and they all flock to the Midwest. Not necessarily because it's easier, but it's easier. Well, there's bigger deer. It's perceived easier. There's bigger deer. It is easier, for sure. I mean, dude, the mid, what's so great about the Midwest is, like, there are big deer there, and it's 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 enjoyable hunting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's it's good weather for it. You know what I mean? it's um, A yeah. lot of the terrain is accessible. It's not, like, overly swampy. It's just, yeah, it's just, I was like, say, like, the well, best place to deer hunt. When we were hunting Illinois, it was, like, 65 degrees. And we're like, oh, this is hot. Those Louisiana guys, they were rolling all through there. We're probably like, this is great out. It was <clears throat> yeah. nice. Yeah. And we're like, no, dude, it's hot. Yeah. So, and, I mean, dude, that's a big part of deer hunting is, like, you know, there might be better places, but do it where you like to do it. You know what I mean? That's just where you enjoy it. That's it, man. So, anyways, cool to have JP on. We appreciate JP France of the Houston Astros organization. We'll be watching him. Hopefully, he makes it here to the big show, and we'll keep up with his progress here in the summer and, and fall. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate everyone listening to episode 79 on our podcast. We'll see you all next week. Later. It's take me over.